The American Republic was founded upon principles discovered and tested through millennia of Western civilization for the explicit purpose of securing the rights and liberties of each of us. Welcome to Taproot, where your hosts will study, analyze, and evaluate the efficacy of our government in performing its single mission to secure the natural rights of each individual citizen. Then we will develop, refine, and propose specific actions to correct the ship of state. Join us as we reveal the underpinnings of our system of governance and demonstrate strategies, tactics, and techniques to clear away the rubble, build again, and maintain on the ancient foundations of our new republic. Taproot is co-hosted by Todd Williams, a dedicated U.S. citizen with a history of effectively holding accountable his elected employees, and S. Marshall Wilson, retired combat veteran of the U.S. Army and former West Virginia state legislator. Todd, what's the topic for today's discussion? Hello, everyone. Welcome to Taproot, where we plumb the depth and encompass the breadth of liberty. My name is Todd Williams, and I'm honored to serve as your host. My co-host today, once again, is Marshall Wilson, husband, father, citizen, teacher, and former state legislator, infantry officer, and former missionary in the Peruvian Amazon. Hey, Marshall, how are you doing today? And can we please talk about the hybrid form of government that our founders created with the U.S. Constitution. Thanks, Todd. Uh, I'm doing great. I hope you're doing well also. Yes, sir. I, I love getting together with you. I wish that it were in person. I think you ought to move in next door so we can do this in person from now on. But there, there you go. <laughs> Start a so, big fire in the backyard and move the cameras out there. Yeah. Absolutely. Big bonfire. But uh so the I, I know that some of this terminology might sound strange to a lot of people. Most people generally don't think of the U.S. government as being hybrid. In fact, uh, most people tend to think of it as a democracy and uh, uh, even a pure democracy. And we'll discuss why that's not really true and why it's a good thing that it's not true. And we'll discuss why the fact that it's actually a hybrid is a good thing as well and uh, how it came to be that way. But if, if you don't mind, first, I'd like to review what we discussed last time. Just real quick, six forms of government posited by Aristotle, and then also the concept of anticyclosis as it was posited by Polybius. And uh, anticyclosis, as we discussed before, is the cycle of govern governments or forms of government as a government rolls through those various types and, and the reasons that pushes that cycle. Um, is, that, is it okay we have time to, to do that quick review before we start on? Absolutely. US? Okay, great. So <clears throat> the first form of government as posited by Aristotle is this is a pure form. We're going to go through the three pure forms first and then talk about their uh, perverted versions. So the pure form of single rule, in other words, a single human being who holds absolute power, um, actually exercises the uh, executive, the legislative, and the judicial powers of government. Um, that person, uh, that if they exercise those powers for the benefit of the people, to secure the rights of the people, then what you have is a monarchy. Now, I understand a lot of people hear that word and immediately think of the worst versions of monarchies that we know of. Right. But you have to understand that the uh, corrupted version of that is something different. We have a different term for that. So right now, if you would just work with me with the fact that Aristotle proposed the concept of monarchy as being the rule of one person 
for the benefit of all people, all people within that society or that nation. Uh, below that, you have the aristocracy, which is the rule of a few people for the benefit of the people. Um, so the rule of one, the rule of a few, and then the rule of all people for the benefit of all people is uh, you're going to you're thinking democracy, but it's not a democracy. It's a polity, polity. So the idea is that all of us are free to make our own choices, and within that freedom, we exercise that liberty of choice, that freedom of choice to serve each other. That's a polity. I'm pretty sure that there's never been a government that actually functioned that way. I know that there are a few that had that intent, but uh, didn't last for very long, and you can imagine why. And really what it all goes back to is the fact that all men are corrupt. Talking about all of us, every single one of us. And I, I want to be very clear about this also. When I use the term men here, I'm talking about the creature man, not the sex, not the male version of that creature, uh, the human beings. I'm, I'm talking about all versions, all ages, all levels of development, all races, both sexes. So I'm talking about all variations of man when I use the term man or men throughout this, this series of podcasts. I, I want to be really clear about that. And a word that used to be used frequently, which is not anymore, mankind. Yeah, that's an all-interesting idea, uh, which uh, includes humanity. Um, I, I prefer man. Um, yep. And, you know, I can go into why one of these days, but right now we're just talking about the, uh, the six forms of government. So we've discussed the monarchy, the aristocracy, and the polity, which are the rule of one, the rule of few, and the rule of all, for the benefit, each one of those three is for the benefit of all. So that's what makes them pure, Right, is an exercise for the benefit of all. Then you've got the corrupted version of each of those. So you've got the rule of one, the rule of few, and the rule of many, or all, that is corrupted or perverted. And uh, the, the, the thing that indicates that they're perverted is that the rulers rule for their own benefit rather than the benefit of all. So in a case where you have singular rule, an individual human being who exercises all power of government, but they exercise it for their own benefit, that is called a dictatorship. Now, a lot of times the word tyranny is used, but I want to be, uh, I want to clarify that as well. Tyranny is a very general term. There are many forms of tyranny, but a dictatorship means one guy, one person, one man uh, using all of the power of government for his own benefit. Okay. And then you've got, instead of aristocracy, you have oligarchy. So you have a group who exercise all power, but they do it for their own benefit. And then you have democracy, which is the perverted form of polity in polity. All of us are free. We all have the power to make decisions and we exercise that power to serve each other, to protect each other's rights. And uh, in a democracy, which is, of course, more likely, we all have that power and we use that power to benefit ourselves. Um, you know, we can go around and around all day long about the fact that, of course, every man seeks his own benefit. And whether or not that's a bad thing, a good thing, uh, a neutral thing, it's just the way it is. But the fact of the matter is that a government in which every single human being has the power to pursue his own good with no limits on that at all, to pursue whatever he wants for his own benefit to the detriment of all of his neighbors without any limit, that's, that's not a government, that's just a mob. And so our our founders wanted to use democratic principles because they want they want the the people to to lead the government because according to them the sovereign is the people even in a situation where you have the king and the king is known as a sovereign the fact of the matter is sovereign power devolves from the people and if you if you really put some thought into it, that will be pretty clear. And I also want to note that that is specifically in the West Virginia Constitution. I think it's uh, Section 3-2 or 2-2. Uh, 
but it says all powers derived from the people. All authority is derived from the people. Uh, you know, one guy standing around shouting orders uh, might call himself a king, but if no one's following his orders, then he has no power. He's just a guy, an old man shouting at clouds. So the idea is because our founders, the founders of the United States of America, realized, recognized, and had studied, they'd studied philosophy. They've studied the, the Greek philosophy. They'd studied the Judeo-Christian ethic, and they had studied the Roman concept of the rule of law. These are the three pillars upon which uh, Western society are founded, but they'd studied them. These were, these were people who understood what they were about, and they figured out that, or they, they understood based on their study, that all men are created equal and are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. And that list, that certain list of unalienable rights is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So includes life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So that, that's uh, from the Declaration of Independence. The corollary or the converse to that that they also recognized is that all men are corrupt, including themselves. They recognized that they themselves were imperfect, that they actually would tend toward seeking their own good over the altruistic good of all. So the only kind of government that actually recognized and and uh, was was uh, formed and functioned in accord with those principles that all men are created equal with with the same set of rights and that those rights are absolute and that all men are corrupt tend toward corruption tend toward selfishness. Um, the only way to form a government that would actually allow men to live freely together would be one that, that employed those two principles. So they built a government that was actually a hybrid of each of the pure forms. And then of course, knowing that because the men who would live under that government, the men who would empower that government and the men who would actually populate that government, the various offices and departments of that government would also be corrupt because all men are corrupt, that it would devolve actually into a corrupted hybrid version of the three pure versions. So what we would do is we they, they actually tried to form a government that was a hybrid of monarchy, aristocracy, and polity, as we've described it before, the three pure forms, with the understanding that those three pure forms would necessarily devolve into their perverted forms, dictatorship, oligarchy, and democracy. So understanding that it would necessarily devolve into the perverted forms because all men are corrupt, the only thing they could do is set, set those forms against each other. Right. Force them to fight over power. So it always, it, it amuses me and kind of scares me and worries me when I hear somebody say, that we need our government to be more effective and more efficient so that it can get more done for us. Right. And all I can think is, yeah. No, all I can think is. No, it's ironic that you mentioned that I was just about to throw in there, you know, people say, Oh, the government needs to work smoother. And I'm like, no, no, the government was never meant to work smooth. It's meant to, you know, the balance of power has each of the branches arguing against each other to keep things in check. So I have friends who say, you know, Wilson, your whole problem when you were in the legislature was you wouldn't work with anybody. Well, do you really want me to work with them on the agenda that they've made clear that they're pursuing, which is deprive you of your the opportunity to freely exercise your natural rights, to deprive you of your private property, to compel you to do things that you would not choose to do on your own? No. You really want me to work with them in accomplishing that? Because uh, I... I don't believe that's why I was there in the legislature. And I don't believe that's why we elect people and send them to the legislature or to the executive branch or to the judiciary. It's not so they'll work and get along with all the other people who are there so that they are all of one hive mind and they're all working together to centralize their power and to enslave us all. That's, that's the whole point of our form of government, our federalist form of government is to separate the functions, the branches of government, and then also the levels. And I'm not saying levels as in one's higher than the other, because right. frankly, 
state governments should be sovereign and the federal government is just sort of this cobbling together of the of the sovereign states and we have completely flipped that upside down yeah so that now we have a central government that tells our state governments what to do and that was not what the founders had in mind so the idea here is we take the three major functions of government and this this idea of the three major functions of government goes all the way back to aristotle and probably goes before him but the the first real working out the first uh the first clear statement of those three type uh, three functions of government are um, are very clear in aristotle so it talks about the executive the executive is the branch of government that everybody thinks of as the government it's the part of the government that executes that does but what is it supposed to execute what is the executive branch of the government or the executive power of government supposed to execute? It's supposed to execute the laws. The laws. Does the executive branch make the laws? Does no. the executive power, right, does the executive power have the authority to create laws? No. And and to That's that to that point, I would like to interject here for just a second. I remember uh, in the middle of the pandemic, uh, I went into a restaurant and had a discussion with a young lady who told me that I had to put a mask on. And I said, says who? And she said, well, it's our policy here. And I was like, well, you know, you can ask me to leave, but, you know, what? and she said, yeah, but it's a law. And I said, a law? Who made the law? And she said, well, J Jim Justice. And I said, no, I'm, I'm sorry. He's the governor. He's the head of the executive branch. He doesn't make laws. So she, she didn't understand that. I'm like, the, you know, and, but and that's even, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that kind of goes back probably to the fact that many uh, of our younger folks aren't getting civics anymore. I don't think there are a lot of schools that aren't teaching civics. And so they don't understand how the government is comprised. Absolutely. So the executive executes. That's where the name executive comes from. The chief executive actually takes an oath to uphold the laws, that he will ensure that the ex executive branch executes the laws. So any executive who fails to do that, especially one who chooses not to do it, uh, you know, one who attempts to and fails, you know, that's, that's questionable. That might be incompetence, or as the West Virginia Constitution refers to it in the article on impeachment, incompetency. But uh, you know, if he actually chooses not to do it, then he is actually um, intentionally going against the Constitution and actually destroying the foundation of his own authority because his authority is delegated to him by the people through the executive or through the uh, Constitution. Right. which forms the executive branch. And the, he is directed in the execution by the legislative branch, which works for the people, to create laws that they compel the legislators to compel your legislators to make in your name. And all of that must function in conjunction or uh, in accordance with the Constitution. And if it doesn't, it is invalid. <laughs> it has no power. Now, it has power, but it has no authority. And then that what that means is the power that it has is illicit. So in the West, I mean, uh, excuse me, in the Declaration of Independence, U.S. Declaration of Independence, it says very clearly that all men are created equal. They're endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. To secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers, just powers from the consent of the governed. Well, even if you don't specifically state that you have not given your consent, if they go off the rails and start doing things on their own, even if the legislature goes off the rails and starts telling the legislature to do things on their own, it's if the government is not functioning according to your consent, it is invalid. It is a false government. Right. It has no authority. Now it has power, it has power, but it doesn't have authority. And the power that it exercises is illicit. And any entity which exercises an illicit power over you is a criminal entity. Yep. So our founders built this hybrid system that recognized the three major functions of government. These actually, like I say, go all the way back to Aristotle, probably even before Aristotle. 
Aristotle referred to the legislative, not as the legislative or the lawmaking, but as the deliberative. Deliberative. It deliber deliberates, excuse me, and it acts deliberately. Now, the executive has to have some energy. It has to be able to, to act quickly because it, it directs the defenses of the land. It, uh, it directs the, uh, uh, the enforcement branch of, or the enforcement arm of the government, which protects our rights and all that sort of thing. So it has to have some energy, has to have some focus, and it has to be prepared to act as necessary. But the legislative is deliberate. It's slow. It's plotting. It's not supposed to make stuff happen really quick. And the only reason the executive is allowed that authority to make things happen very quickly is because it's already been decided by the legislative, the deliberative branch, in the name of the people, according to their will and, and under the Constitution, according to the Constitution, it's already been decided what the executive should do. So the executive doesn't really have to decide what to do. It only has to figure out the most effective and efficient way to do it according, under the Constitution, according to the law, and then do it. Execute it. Yeah, execute. Exactly. Now, the judiciary, the judicial branch, is to judge. And what is it supposed to judge? The law. The law. The will of the people as expressed through the legislature, through the deliberative branch of the government, to compel the executive branch to behave a certain way. That's, that's why the judiciary exists. And I would go so far as to say that Supreme Court, the Supreme Judiciary specifically has the job of holding the legislative and the executive branches to the constitution. That's why they exist. So separating the powers into the three branches and actually setting them at odds against each other, the system of, as we know it, checks and balances that comes from, I cannot remember, it's the Federalist Papers, but I can't remember which, which number of, I should have been better prepared. But anyway, I'll, I'll get back with you on that. But from the Federalist Papers, the idea of checks and balances. So, uh, you know, you have the judiciary, the executive, and the legislature. You looking it up for me? I really appreciate that. Time. I will. Yeah, you, you just go on talking. I'll find it here in a second. Checks and balances in the Federalist Papers. So the three of them actually compel each other hold each other to the Constitution. That's the way it's supposed to work. They check each other. In other words, when one of them tries to go off the rails, the other two are supposed to come alongside it and say, nope, <laughs> get back on the rails. And then the balance, the idea of balance is supposed to be that if any one of them starts to centralize or garner too much power, the other two are supposed to balance it out and not allow one to be more powerful than the others. Now they have different types of power, they have different types of authorities, right? But one should not be able to overpower the other two. You shouldn't have a chief executive, say a state governor, who tells the legislature, hey, I want y'all to do this. And the state legislature, let's say, for example, in West Virginia, as has been happening over the past few years, simply does what the chief executive tells them to do. You have to understand the legislature does not work for the executive branch. It is quite the opposite. The legislature is the expressed will or is the method by which the, the, the sovereign power, which is the people, expresses its will into the government. And it is the executive's job to execute that will as expressed by the people, the sovereign people, through their elected representatives, the people they hired to represent them in the legislature. So... The idea that the executive would say, hey, we're going to do this, and the legislature would just say, cool, is completely against all of the principles of the founding of our nation. So not only do we have the checks and balances within the federal government, but we actually have, so that's that's called uh, uh, balance of powers, checks and balances, however you want to phrase that. But we also have federalism, and what that means is we have the federal government, and then we have the state governments. And we have the county governments, and then we have the city governments, wherever there's a city. And the basic idea is that each one of those has its own authorities and powers that are completely separate from, from the others. So the idea is that the federal government only had, if you look at the Tenth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, it specifically says that 
any powers that are not specifically written down in the Constitution, word for word, saying this is a power of the U.S. federal government, those powers devolve to the states and to the people. To the people, yeah. In other words, there are certain powers that the government is allowed, and the rest of them, it's not, the federal government is not allowed those powers. Anything that's not, I'm sorry, I hate to keep beating this dead horse, but this is critical, and, and people don't seem to understand this. Absolutely. It is not specifically in the U.S. Constitution as a power of one of the branches of government, and each of the powers that's given to the government is specifically delegated to one of the three branches. If it is not one of the ones that is specifically stated in the Constitution as one of one of those branches of government, the federal government has no business. It is utterly illegal for them to even try to do it because those powers, those authorities devolve directly to the states or to the people. And once again, the states originally, and, and it was intended by the founders that this continued, they were actually sovereign entities. They didn't have to do what the federal government told them to do. So we've got the uh, federal government, which had certain powers, and then the state governments had powers to uh, enact their own laws, which they do. But you will note, if you're really paying attention, that what they try to do is make their laws match the federal laws as if the federal government is sending out edicts to the states and the states are just branch offices of the federal government. And that's not the way it was ever supposed to function. There are two amendments to the U.S. Constitution that make this particularly easy for the federal government, and they should never have happened. <clears throat> One is, I believe it's the 16th Amendment, which gives the federal government the power to directly tax individual uh, citizens' income. That required an amendment to the U.S. Constitution. That was illegal up until the progressives took over at the beginning of the 20th century. That's not something that we were supposed to do. It's, it's utterly against the founding principles, the principles of liberty upon which our nation was founded the direct income tax by the federal government. Now, states, that's a different issue. Um, now, I think that the idea of a, an income tax is a terrible idea, and I would love to see West Virginia get rid of it, and there have been various legislators who've tried to do that. But the simple fact of the matter is it was absolutely denied to the U.S. federal government when the U.S. federal government was formed, the ability to directly tax individual citizens. The federal government was supposed to levy taxes and tariffs and that sort of thing on the states. And then it could only be done based on the general census of the population. In other words, you you know, it's not like Todd and I could each be paying different levels of taxation. That's, that's illegal. It's unconstitutional. Unfortunately, they have the power to uh, enforce it, even though it's unconstitutional, and they don't have the authority to enforce it. Um, another is that uh, originally... And it, it still surprises me that people don't seem to know this, but originally, in the original version of the Constitution, states, the state legislatures, elected the senators. And the idea was that the Senate would literally represent the states as sovereign entities, as the component entities of the U.S. Uh, nation, of the American nation. That was the idea. And then, of course, the House of Representatives, the congressmen, elected to the House of Representatives would actually represent the people, a certain proportion of the people. Well, um, the problem with allowing for direct election of the senators, you might say, well, that's more democratic. It actually gives the people more power. No, it doesn't. What it actually does is it takes the state's power away such that the state no longer has as much of a vested interest in the ac activity of the U.S. federal government so it cannot protect the rights of the people who are citizens of that state. So the way it's supposed to work is that West Virginia has two, two uh, senators, and uh, California has two senators, and New York has two senators, and Rhode Island has two senators, and it's because that sovereign entity has representation in the Senate. And the idea being that any federal law has to, as a bill, has to pass both houses so that the people have their say and then the states have their say. And again, that is to allow the states to protect their citizens 
from encroachments upon their rights by the U.S. federal government. That is actually a bulwark against uh, the growth and uh, growth of the size and power of the U.S. federal government. And, you know, once again, under the the progressives in the early part of the 20th century, we the people gave that away. We took that power away from the states, the power to protect us from the federal government, and uh, sort of triggered it away. So the idea that there are people all over the country who are yelling, well, it's unfair that West Virginia has two senators and California, which is vastly more populous, says the same number of senators uh, are just ignorant. They don't understand the purpose behind the Senate. Uh, you have the pop, the uh, representation by population, of course, in the House of Representatives. That's where that, that concept resides. So that need to be represented by population is met in the in the House of Representatives. But the states are also supposed to be represented. Todd, you look like you got something on your mind. Yeah, I was just gonna I was gonna say I in the not so distant past, I was reading uh about George Washington uh in the Constitutional Convention standing to object really only one time. And he was talking about the amount of representation for each state. Uh, and in, in the beginning, they said um, no more than 30,000 citizens per, per, per congressman. Uh, and then I think they moved that up to 50,000. But still, can you imagine the size of our Congress now if it was 50,000 per citizen? I mean, I think it was I think the last I read it was like over 5,500 representatives. Well, I think that that actually would be a very good thing. I do, too. I think the House of Representatives should have grown. Uh, so that we maintained that ratio of one representative per 30 or 50,000 at at that point, because how in the world is a single person supposed to hear the the concerns and address the concerns of of that many people? Yeah, two and a half million people in some districts. So West Virginia has, what, a population of about 1.7 million at this point, and we have two congressional districts. Right. So you are where, depending on where you live in the state, you're either in West Virginia Congressional District 1 or Congressional District 2. Right. And you are one of about 0.75 million, actually more than that, about 0.8 million, 0.85, about 0.85 million people uh, who are represented by your congressperson. You've right. got Carol Miller in the South and you've got uh, Alex, Alex Mooney, Mooney in the North. Yep. And uh, there's no way in the world those people can represent you. I don't no. care how hard they want. Can't do it. Now, as a delegate in the state of West Virginia, I represented about 18,000, 18,500 citizens, and it wore me out. That's Yeah, that's still tough, even at that number. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I got hundreds of emails. I got hundreds of phone calls. I got, you know... I didn't get as many letters, um, but I tell you what, when I did get a handwritten letter or at least a hand signed letter uh, from one of my constituents, it got a lot of attention. I, I focused on it and I thought this person took the time to write to me. It matters to them. Right. Absolutely. All right. So let's rehash real quick. And uh, next time we get together, if we could, I would like to discuss uh, the actual powers that the U.S. Constitution allows the powers and the authorities that the U.S. Constitution gives to the U.S. federal government, because it's a very short list, and we can knock them all out in one uh, one episode. One, yeah, in one episode. Um, and, and also, I'd like to introduce the idea in the next episode, although we won't be able to cover it fully, between the actual Constitution and the annotated Constitution. Right. Our government functions according to the annotated constitution, but if you read the actual constitution, you know, it's a little book. I mean, I've got... Yeah, the original there. original constitution is just a book you can stick in your briefcase, and the annotated constitution, you probably have to hire somebody to help you carry it. Yeah, yeah well, you need a little red wagon to haul it around, but there you go. So, uh, if we could, I'd like to do those two things in the next one, just yep. introduce the of the differences between the, the actual constitution and the annotated constitution and how they're used differently. But uh, I would also like to uh, 
to discuss the powers that the U.S. Constitution gives to the federal government. Because once you know the ones that actually belong to the federal government, you'll understand that they don't have any of the others. That's right. <laughs> so anything that these, this short set of, of uh, powers, that they're wrong, that they're, right. that they're uh, illegally. And yeah. Uh, and you start to then you start to see the size and scope of the federal government, uh, you know, and, and you realize possible, which was illegal. Right. Yeah. So I, and I All think right. another thing, too, Marshall, aren't we probably about close to doing a, a question and answer episode where we could, uh, you know, take lists of questions from our uh, listeners and uh, answer some of those? I hope they're sending them in now. I hope that we're actually receiving those because I would love to do that. Yes. Uh, and frankly, I'm thinking what we need to do is do our regular episodes and then address questions sort of like a mailbag yeah. uh, toward the episode. Or we could actually do specific episodes where we do nothing but answer questions. Yeah, but, I was thinking uh, if, if we're trying to do one episode a week as a standard episode, then perhaps we could do uh, a special episode uh, once a month for certain. And depending on how many questions come in, maybe we could do it every other week. You know, that would be great. Um, we have a standard contract with our our producer, uh, Premier Podcast Promotions, and uh, any additional episodes that we do besides the four per month or the one per week, uh, we have to pay extra for, which is fine. I'll be happy to do that. But uh, uh, it would be really great if we could get some people to, uh, to or some, some local West Virginia companies to start buying a little bit of ad space. Um, if you want to figure out what that's all about, just give me a holler. I would love to talk with you about it. Um, we're not taking political ads because we have to maintain our independence. We have to be able to speak clearly and plainly about what's going on in politics in West Virginia and in the United States of America. Uh, so we are not going to accept political ads. We're not going to do political ads for anyone or anything, any, any entity. But if we can, real quick, I'd like to run back over this, what we discussed this episode okay. real quick. And then I'll get out of your way because I know that uh, it can be tedious to sit here and listen to me. So six forms of government. Three of them are pure. Three of them are perverted. The three pure forms are designated as pure because they function for the benefit of the people. The purest form of functioning for the benefit of the people is securing their natural rights. Now, if you say that functioning for the benefit of the people is, uh, you know, buying them all a shotgun or buying them all a new car, you, know, you can make the argument that's for the benefit of the people. But uh, and we will we will actually discuss this in a future episode that the real benefit, the real governmental benefit to the people is securing their natural rights. So three pure forms and then you've got the three perverted forms. Perverted are the ones that function for the benefit of the rulers. All right. So you have the individual ruler, which is in the pure form, a monarchy, and in the corrupted form, a dictatorship. And all, all perverted forms are by nature tyrannical. In other words, they step all over your rights. They, they infringe upon your rights. They deny you the right, the opportunity to freely exercise your rights. Because they don't so care about your rights. <laughs> right. Monarchy is the pure form. Um, dictatorship is the, is the perverted form. Then you've got the aristocracy, which is the pure form of the rule by a few. Then you've got oligarchy, which is the perverted form of rule by a few. And then you have polity, which is the pure form of rule by many or by all citizens. Right. And then you have democracy, which is the perverted form of rule by all. And a cyclosis is the cycle of governments, which as each form of government breaks down into its perverted form, moves it on to the pure form of the next form, the, the pure version of the next form, and, and it rotates all the way through. So just to give you an idea how this looks, if you have a polity where we're all working together for each other's benefit, sooner or later, the inherent corruption of all men will break that uh, polity. Actually, it will take place in about 37 seconds, I think. But you put three people in a room and you tell them they have to look out for each other. And at some point, uh, within about 37 seconds, each one of them is going to be thinking about what their best options are. Right. Um, say is it's the way it works. Yeah. How can so, I coerce uh, these people to do what I need them to do? Right. And uh, I am probably 
one of the worst people in the world about that, trying to figure out what's what's the best way to get this done, rather than making sure that everybody has a chance to say what they have to say. Well, you know, in um, your in so, your de- in your defense, you were you've been taught to strategize. I mean, you well, have to look at army. right, right. Yeah, so you're that in leadership positions. I do generally tend to walk into the room and say, "Hey, guys, we need to do this." Right. Exactly. Yeah. But, but but then that goes to show, even if you have good intentions, uh, if you manipulate people to carry out your plan, there's where corruption comes in. That's it. And I am just as corrupt as every other man. And I freely admit it. And that's the only hope that I have is that I will admit it. So you start off, you've got a polity. Everybody's looking out for each other. It's all happy joy, right? We all love each other in a very short period of time. I mean, very short period of time. That I mean, the half-life of a polity is about 37 seconds. It devolves into a democracy where everybody is pulling apart the society to get what they want out of it, all right? And uh, from there, once you have this chaos, what will happen is some people will arise as more powerful or more compelling or more capable leaders, not better people, more capable leaders, who will then establish themselves as kings. Now, they may not use that title, but they will get to the point where they are exercising the authority of government, right? And some of them will actually try to do it for the benefit of the people, some few of them. Most of them will actually go ahead and become dictators. But even the ones who try to do the right thing, who try to function as monarchs as effective and gracious people serving the people by providing leadership, they will ultimately fall into dictatorship. Right. At that point, a group of people who are functioning within that dictatorship, but trying to hold it to the higher standard will break away and they will establish an aristocracy. So that would be a, a small group of people who actually have some idea how to run the society, how to rule the society, and they will initially try to do it for the benefit of all people. Mm-hmm. But in very short order, it will devolve into an oligarchy, which is that same group of people or a similar group of people functioning for their own benefit. At right. some point, every single level will say, well, yeah, I, I know that it is a bit of a hardship on the people that you know we tax them this much, but it only makes sense that we have a huge marble building with gold leaf all over the dome because it really impresses people with the power and the majesty of our government. So you know you just got to understand that's the way it is. Well, it is the way it is. It's not the way it's supposed to be. So that oligarchy will devolve into a polity whereby the people themselves rise up and say. We're not putting up with this. We're going to take care of ourselves and of our neighbors. And they might have all of the best intentions. The problem is they are human beings like the others, and all men are corrupt. And it devolves into democracy, which is corrupt. It's chaos. And at some point, some strong man is going to stand up and say, look, I'm going to impose order for the benefit of all. The cycle, anacyclosis, what it's called. Uh, there are variations on the theme, but the theme pretty much is run inter- uninterrupted throughout the recorded history of man. So, yeah, I think recently you and I talked about uh, the fact that all of our media is just obsessed with using the term democracy. They want to protect our democracy. And, I, and I'm like, you know, I remember way back many years ago where someone, one, I think one of my professors or something literally said a democracy is just mob rules. You know, whoever whoever has the strongest mob is who's in power. If they've got the most money or the most guns or, you know, whatever, they're the ones who are going to say what goes. Right. Um, you know, and, and it's it's not actually democracy is not actually what we want. Right. Uh, anybody who's paying attention, who understands what's going on, what we really want is a government that functions according to a standard set of principles that we all accept rather than one that serves, you know, uh, a certain set of people. And uh, it should serve all of us according to a certain set of principles that we all accept. 
And originally that set of principles was we're all created equal. We're all endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights. Because we're endowed with these rights by our creator, they are above and outside the reach of any other man entity in any way, shape or form. Uh, You know, the government can't take those rights away from you. All it can do is infringe upon those rights or protect those rights. That's it. All right. So we go into anticyclosis and to short circuit the process of anticyclosis, our founding fathers built a hybrid government, which took all of the best functions or all of the best uh, components of each type of government and pitted them against each other, fighting for power in in the U.S. government. Uh, And then they actually spread the power out among the levels of government, not one higher than the other, just different functioning differently, uh, some larger, some smaller, but not higher or lower. In other words, the state doesn't work for the federal government. They're not, you know, it's not one over the other. It's just they've got different realms in which they function. One's more general, one's more specific. The people who have more specific, more direct control over your lives are directly accessible to you. You know, if you don't run into your legislators, your state legislators in the grocery store or at church or at the school or something every now and then, there's something wrong there. So the idea here is to prevent any group from centralizing and gaining control over a certain amount of authority or a certain uh, or, or centralizing power or centralizing control of sections of the government. There are huge walls built between the executive and the legislative and the judiciary. And they they are supposed to constantly keep an eye on each other and hold each other accountable. They're supposed to jealously guard their own powers. But when you have a legislature, which we have in West Virginia, which willingly surrenders its authority to the chief executive, then the system breaks down. And we the people, we lose. All right. Yep. So you think you've beaten that dead horse enough? I think you've gotten your point across well. I think this has been been a great episode. And we will refer back to these principles as we go forward because they never go away. The principles never change. Application changes, situations change, conditions change, uh, execution changes, but the principles are foundational bedrock. They never change. They are absolute. Todd, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you putting up with me. Thank you. I always appreciate you too. And on one last point there, uh, we were talking earlier about the Federalist paper. That was number 51 uh, by James Madison that talked about checks and balances. Thank you very much. So you guys can go look it up. I promise you, if you, uh, if you Google or whatever search engine you use, if you go look up Federalist 51, you'll find that's actually where that, uh, that concept of checks and balances comes from. And if you would, a study of the Federalist Papers, and even better, do a study of the Anti-Federalist Papers, and it will really give you some idea of the arguments that took place in the formation of our federal government. So you can get them online from uh, bookstores, online bookstores, and they're, they're, you know, they come in a nice set, but you can see where effectively the founders were arguing amongst themselves. You know, a lot of people seem to think that this bunch of old guys sat down and just wrote the Constitution. They weren't all old. As a matter of fact, most of them were younger than I am. Right. Uh, from all walks of life, except women and slaves. We have to be honest about that. But as far as being uh, being men and citizens, uh, they came from, you know, there were lawyers and and farmers and you know various other people yep. a lot of ministry kind of surprises me but maybe it shouldn't but uh they argued about these things and they, they were pretty intense arguments i mean they uh they were not nice to each other so it's uh, it's important to understand where this came from and also important to understand that although i will uphold and defend the u.s constitution even if it kills me because i believe that it is the it provides the structure for a government that protects a society in which my kids can raise their kids in a free, just, prosperous, and secure land. By the way, I have nine kids, so that's that's a lot of responsibility. But I believe that the Constitution provides that opportunity for them if it's actually supported and defended and actually uh, 
functioning the way it was intended. Right. Now, speaking as a hardcore strict constitutionalist, I will tell you straight up that the anti-federalist had some really good points. Some really good points. A lot of the guys who didn't want the U.S. Constitution to be ratified made some excellent points. And frankly, a lot of their predictions have come true. So yep. it's an important study, and we will get into the Federalist versus the Anti-Federalist papers, and who knows? We might even get somebody who can argue the Anti-Federalist position way better than me. I'm going to invite uh, Delegate Pat McGeehan from the Northern Panhandle. Uh, he might tell me that he didn't have time, but uh, it would be a great podcast to have him on here, and he and I discussing those two, uh, Federalist versus Anti-Federalist. But anyway, I agree. I thank you for your time. And uh, I appreciate everyone who takes a few minutes and listens to what we have to say here. Please get a hold of us, challenge us, offer us insights, uh, ask questions, bring up new issues that you want to see us cover. Uh, we look forward to it. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thanks, everyone. Have a great evening. Thanks for listening to Taproot, where we plumb the depths and encompass the breadth of liberty. If you love liberty and would see it established once again for all men, we want to hear from you. Please rate and review the podcast and check out our YouTube at Marshall4WV. That's Marshall, M-A-R-S-H-A-L-L, the number four, W-V. Join us next time for more discussions on how we might restore the Republic to secure the certain unalienable rights with which all men were endowed by their creator. Oh.